Um, okay, damn it, I'll try to get back to it. Um, the, um, shit. Um, Well, you know, maybe I should save this and just tell you the story when I go down to St. Louis. It's about a two-hour story. <laughs> uh, shoot. Well, anyway, I'll shorten it really. I'll shorten up a whole bunch here. Anyway, there's a power struggle between, and I think it's true. I think it is. A, I think it's a true story. Uh, anyway, to get him out of his hair, uh, Joseph Smith sent him and this other elder to England for recruits to come back and and become Mormons. Well, Joseph Smith's thing was get him the hell out of his city. Because Joseph Smith didn't have a hardcore band of murderers behind him. And uh, um, um, yeah. so the best he could do was get him out of his hair and try and figure out some way to get rid of him. Uh, he couldn't just kick him out because he always did what he was supposed to do. And he was in good enough with the other elders that if he would have tried to kick him out, he had enough of the elders that would supported him and Joseph Smith would have had to prove it to them and he couldn't. I mean, he couldn't come out and say, well, we got a power struggle going on here, boys. He's got to go. Now, if he would have come out front and said, so anyway. Um, anyway, uh, so he sent Brigham Young to England to get him out of his hair. Now, a lot of this came from this historian guy. I mean, Grandma said it. I didn't really make no sense to me. Well, like I said, when your mom and me got divorced that first time and I was all brokenhearted. I was just riding that Honda up there around Nauvoo, seeing, looking at everything. And I was going to sleep on a river in one of them camping spots. And uh, I went to the place where they make the, the horseshoes and, and the sawmills and the armory and all those things. And I went to the newspaper. And the guy in there, he had all these old newspapers on microfish things. And I went in there, and he, he was just a nice, pleasant fella. And we was looking at different things that he presented to the visitors. And uh, I just kind of casually mentioned, I said, well, you know, my grandma told me that uh, Brigham Young murdered Joseph Smith. And he, it's funny, he just like kind of like I slapped him. And I thought, you know, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And he kind of stood there for a bit, started going through them microfish things. And he goes, here, I want to show you some stuff. And that newspaper that got burnt down that led to him going to uh, Carthage and getting murdered. <laughs> Joseph Smith had to get him separated. And he was showing me all these newspaper articles from, and by God, they, it, was, it backed up what Grandma said. Uh, Brigham Young and his guys was running around stealing horses and cows and girls. And the reason they needed the girls was, okay, goes back to the earlier part. Uh, he sent he sent Brigham Young over to England to get him the fuck out of Dodge. And um, in any way, uh, 
while he uh, while he was gone, Joseph Smith just kept working and stuff. But Nauvoo really hadn't done much yet. I mean, most of his followers at this point were the ones that followed him up from, you know, Missouri places. They weren't bricklayers. They weren't uh, brick makers. They weren't uh, thatchers. You know, they were just mostly farmers. Anyway, and that's who settled Nauvoo. It was them guys. That was the original Mormon followers. <clears throat> okay. So, and then you got to... You got to talk about England. <laughs> In England at that time, commoners couldn't own anything. In London, you know, people who owned things never let it go. So all the businesses was owned by a family. Yeah, they never let it go. And if you wanted to start a new business, you had to have money. Commoners couldn't borrow money. The only way commoners could get money was to borrow it from the uh, the gentry, the lorded people. So, to feed their kids, and they, you know, just regular old people, they had shit pile of kids. You know, sex, everybody likes sex. So, you know, the family would have kids until basically the woman couldn't have them anymore. And they would scrounge some kind of a living. But it was a shitty living. And as time went on over the years, it kept getting worse and worse. So, if you was a good parent, about the best you could do with your sons was when they turned old enough to work, find somebody who would bond them. So, if you had a son and you could get a bricklayer to bond your son, he, he was his responsibility, but basically your son was his slave until he was 18. He had to do whatever he was told to do. And so all these young men over there were bonded till they was 18 to bricklayers, uh, glass makers, uh, uh, brick makers, masons uh, that worked with stone. Uh, so anyway, all these young kids there, all right, you know, they're living with whoever. Uh, and they provide them with food and a place to sleep. And they work them, work them hard, or, you know, they work them. It's free labor. When they turn 18, though, out the door they go. Now, if a master wanted to keep you after 18, then you had to work out some kind of a payment deal. And, but most of the people out there did that had businesses, they would just uh, let you go. Because they would have several new young people working. They might have quite a few apprentices. And the ones that ain't no good, they just get rid of. But when you turn 18, if you ain't real good or if they don't need you, he just lets you go. Okay, so here you are, a skilled brick maker, say. Or a skilled roofer. They called them Thatchers. Or bows and arrows, Fletcher. Uh, tenor. Uh you weren't allowed to have a last. You weren't allowed to have a last name in England either. Commoners weren't. Uh, only lorded people had last names. The commoners. That's the, that's the reason on the American thing. That's the reason Cayley and Gallic means musician. So the original Cayley that came over here didn't. Might, he didn't have a last name. He was probably Edward the Cayley, musician, or some of the. You know. Anyway. 
uh, anyway, they, uh, uh, damn it, I'm getting all screwed up here. Shit, I'm jumping back and forth in time too much. Anyway, the, uh, okay, so he sent them over there to get recruits to join the Mormon church. So they was running around. Now, these street kids, a lot of them were violent sons of bitches. You know, if you're 18 and you ain't got nothing, and you're running around with a bunch of 18-year-old boys, of course you're hungry. So how are you going to make... They was rough. I mean, they weren't... They weren't like little farm boys, you know, that's been on the farm all the... These, these kids were rough and tough. Anyway, uh, Brigham Young talked to them, met a lot of them, and they all became his buddies. And he offered them a deal. He said it, at that time it cost $3 for passage from England to the United States. That was the cheapest. Uh, the highest was around, I mean, about 10 between 3 and $10. So they told him about the Mormon church, He, it, which he really didn't believe in, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he believed in what you could do with it, but I don't think he really believed God really give a shit about anything, uh, which may be true. Well, it is true. The only power God's got on this planet is DNA. All this shit about snapping his fingers and making the sun and the stars, no. God is a pure energy being. He's eternal. Uh, there's no time where he lives. And the only way in our dimension or whatever it is that he can do anything is through working with DNA. And I think he sends souls, when you're conceived, a part of God, a soul, it's right there, and that soul has had experience with that type DNA. And when that when the material's put together properly in a proper environment, that soul jumps in there and starts matching all the parts, pushing them where they need to go. And boom, first cell is born. And then the soul stays there, and then it guides it to the second cell and the fourth. That soul is with us till we die. Never mind. This has got nothing to do with this story. But that's another story I want to write. <laughs> if I can find a ghostwriter to write it, I think it'd be a pretty cool story. Anyway, um, and it's, of course, just fiction. Maybe not. Could be a real deal. Who knows? Anyway, um, damn it. So Joseph Smith, yeah, he sent him over there to get him out of his hair. Okay, so anyway, it cost, say, 10 bucks to ship him back to uh, New Orleans. They all came up to Mississippi, and uh, they all come up in a group, you know, to help take care of each other. So they learned quite a bit just coming up the river about how things are here in America. And uh, now they were given passage on that ship. And Brigham Young told them, in payment, they had to do two years of service, just like they was indentured. They're just like same thing as what they had been doing all their lives for two years. He said, for two years, you're, you're done with your indenturedness. You don't do it no more. I mean, now, somehow or other, that got changed where he has to do it forever. No. No, I think it's still just two years. I think every Mormon is obligated to do two years' work for the church. Well, anyway, so these young men who had nothing, they were given transport to Nauvoo, and they would be assigned a place to live, and they would have uh, a job. And that's that's the reason Nauvoo grew so fast and so quick. 
it wasn't because of the original Mormons that Joseph Smith had. These were the Mormons that Brigham Young created. Uh, and they were loyal to him. More. And Joseph Smith figured that out, too. Now, one of the problems was there was no girls here. Damn it. <laughs> so you had all these young men, of course, wanting girls. Of course, all the Mormon girls were taken. The surrounding girls didn't want nothing to do with them dumbass Mormons. So, Brigham Young, that, that newspaper guy was showing clippings all around Nauvoo. Horses, cows, and young girls were getting stolen. To, to really check this story out, somebody needs to go through all the newspaper stories of that time and see exactly how many young girls turned up missing around there. Uh, and the time that happened. Because that didn't happen until after William Young and his boys got there. I'm almost positive. Uh, I, I think the original Mormons were, weren't really into that. They weren't violent people. Anyway, <coughs> these guys from England were. I mean, they were, you know, street urchins. Anyway, so Brigham Young and his boys, they was running around stealing cows and horses, and, and they was bringing them right through town, and little girls. And this one newspaper, it, I don't think it was a Mormon newspaper, this one newspaper started printing stories about it. And, uh, of course, somebody burned his newspaper down. Well, he went to Carthage and complained to the sheriff there, uh, and also complained, you know, these goddamn Mormons are running around stealing everything. He probably showed the sheriff there some of his papers. And he said, you know, something needs to be done. So the sheriff went down to Nauvoo to investigate. Of course, he couldn't do nothing there. He was just one guy. And uh, he brought around asking questions. And uh, nobody would talk to him. And so he, he uh, went back and contacted a, a federal judge. And a federal judge heard the story, and he was going to come to Carthage and rule on what was, what happened to the printing shop. And, you know, Joseph Smith might have intended that, because he wanted to talk to that judge alone. And he, and he was going to tell the judge that he had a problem in his church with this bunch of guys that were mean, violent, he couldn't control. And they were the ones running around stealing the horses and the girls. And my grandma said that was his plan. <laughs> he was just going to tell the federal district judge what the hell was going on in Nauvoo. So him and he kind of sneaked out of Nauvoo. I mean, he should have took a whole bunch of his people with him. They didn't. He just sneaked out. Him, his brother, I guess just him and his brother. And they got to Carthage and they uh, checked themselves into the jail for safety. Until the next day was a court appearance. Anyway, in the middle of the night, some masked men, three or four, uh, came to the jail, put the uh, put the guard, the the jailer, you know, in a cell, and they went upstairs because it was a two story jail, and uh, they shot Joseph Smith in the head and his brother. Killed them, killed them both. And then he left. They didn't hurt the jailer. <laughs> okay, 
the guy who killed Joseph Smith killed somebody who talked to God. And Brigham Young called him the angel of death because he killed somebody who said they talked to God and there was no retribution. Now, Brigham Young, anybody in the Mormon church that got out of line, this angel of death guy, and he was just a nice fellow. Everybody liked him, but he'd shoot you in the back of the head where you wouldn't be noticed somewhere. And everybody... Not everybody. I mean, the main power people in the Mormon church, they knew that. And they knew they better fucking behave because the angel of death was Brigham Young's right-hand man. And that is true. That historian guy, he has some news. He, I forget, and he had the guy's name, too. Uh, he was, well, he was the angel of death, and he's the one who killed Joseph Smith and maybe his brother. Anyway... Of course, they left, went back to Nauvoo. And uh, Brigham Young there, as soon as they found out what happened, a howling mob attacked the church, killed Joseph Smith. It wasn't just masked men, you know, a howling mob. Anyway, but that ain't what happened, because they snuck in quietly. And they didn't want to be noticed. But Brigham Young's guys had a spy on the inside that ratted him out. Anyway, uh... Anyway, I don't know. Uh, shoot. Well, anyway, on one of my podcasts, I said all this stuff. So, I don't know. Anyway, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young won the day. The people in Nauvoo, the ones who still believed in the original... Well, he was running around saying, hey, you know, he said, he's dead, he's gone... He said, you know, and he out in the Great Salt Lakes, there was free land, there, and they, they could do whatever they wanted out there. There was no no human, no regular human beings out there, just engines. And uh, so him and all the guys who knew how to do all the work, the people who made all them brick houses and the people who made all they all left. They were all them Englishmen. So they all loaded up. And some of them had wives and kids they'd stolen for them. Some of them didn't. So the Mormons were stealing women for quite a, quite a while after that, uh, uh, kind of wherever they went, until they had all their boys had a family. Anyway, those people all left with, with him to go out west. Well, the ones who didn't want to go, they said, we got the temple here. There's no way we can leave this. All the work that went into that, when lo and behold, middle of the night, some masked characters went in there with kerosene, burn it down. So then Brigham Young said, well, <laughs> there's no way we can rebuild that. We're going, to, we're going to Utah. So everybody who believed in Brigham Young went. So you still got the original Mormon church. You still got the original church of Latter-day Saints. And it ain't amounted to nothing. You know, and if there is a God, it might have been God behind that whole damn deal. Uh, the church, the Mormon church was at a dead end under Joseph Smith. Uh, Brigham Young took the whole church in a new direction. And it's one of the biggest religious, well, a fairly big religion now. So if God does have a great plan, maybe that was part of it. Anyway, uh, okay, well, that historian guy I was talking to, he drug all these old newspaper things out and was showing me what they said. 
uh, the the houses, uh, the lots for sale in St. Louis. He had that on microfish. Uh, Browning, the name of him and his. Oh, something else too. Uh, Joseph Smith. After after. Uh, oh, they brought back all the guys from. Uh, oh shit, England. Uh, Joseph Smith didn't have anybody he could order around as, as an army. He didn't have no gun guy. So he decided to build an armory. So they had uh, the, the lawyer, of course, he was involved up there in Nauvoo as a real estate guy. His son from Quincy moved up there, and Joseph Smith said he wanted to set up a armory, and he wanted every Mormon to have a gun because his Mormons didn't have guns. I mean, they might have an old beat-up shotgun, but Brigham Young's boys, they carried revolvers and good stuff. So that was that was part of his plan. So they built the armory. Browning came there, and he got the contract, of course, to make all the guns for him, which he did. And uh, at one time, they was planning on having uh, a really big army there. He was planning on having like a 1,000 men in his army. Now, this was before he got wiped out. But most of the guys that joined were Brigham Young's guys. I mean, every every Mormon had to have a gun, but it's who the one who wanted them the baddest is the one who got them. And the old Mormons, they really weren't interested in guns that much, so they might not have asked for them. So anyway, um, well, anyway, on another podcast, I said that and well, in more detail. That, uh, that historian, he said he worked in the uh, big library, he was a head head historian there in Salt Lake City, and he had seen all the stuff that they had there in their records. It, and basically, he walked me through this whole story. I I told him what Grandma said, and he would look up stuff, and by God, you know it's true. And uh, when I got done talking to him, I said, "My God, man, you need to write a book." And uh, he just smiled. He said, well, hey, he wanted me to come home with him and spend the night with him and his wife. Well, my plan was I was going to go over by the river and sleep in my sleeping bag, and that's what I did. And then, uh, anyway, and, and that whole thing was all just kind of forgotten. You know, it was just all in the back of my head. Uh, I still think it make a good story. And I'd hell, a Mormon church might buy the goddamn thing just to keep it from ever happening. <laughs> Uh, I see. So, on my podcast, I was trying to get somebody to become a ghostwriter for it. So, I'm still, I'm still hoping somebody calls me up and and says, "Hey, I'll be your ghostwriter." And I'll say, "Fine, I'll put two thousand dollars into the project, and you and me will be equal partners. If you make any money, we'll split it fifty-fifty. Because uh, basically, he's the one doing all the work." Yeah. So, well, I think I'm going to go up to my room, Andy. I, I'm sitting down here in the toilet. Well, I'm sitting here dribble, dribble, dribble. That, that damn water. Or they're trying to get that water, fluid around my heart gone. So. Yeah, that stuff is... Uh, anyway, I've, I know been, I've been, had a lot of friends that have I've been sitting on this, that trouble. I've been sitting on this toilet pretty near all day. Uh, but I can go upstairs and pee in my sink. That's, that's what I'll do. <laughs> okay. Well. Anyway, I tell you what. You want me to tell you? Me, maybe tomorrow I'll tell you another story, a different one. <laughs> For your amusement. Well, I'll, look, 
<laughs> when my you're immune. You yeah, I tell you what. Uh, <laughs> I could tell you. I could tell you about the time I almost blew up the USS uh, Hancock. I had yeah. I had a whole bunch of explosives down the engine room, and I really was against the Vietnam War, and I really thought one part of my mind thought, well, you know, what? maybe if I blew up this whole damn ship with six thousand people on it, that might bring that war to a conclusion. Uh, but, but I didn't do it. And I didn't really didn't really plan to do it either. I was going to try and make me some things to blow fish up with. But if I would have stuck that in front of one of them five hundred bombs that I slipped right next to, well, I don't know. They were all the parts for those five hundred. It was the detonator and the fuse. The fuse was about the size of a small beer can. And then in it, it had a threaded hole for your uh, detonator. And, the, and I asked, I asked the armor guys. I said, "Well, how do they arm them?" And they said, "Well, the plane's a uh, plane has a forty-two volt system." And he said, "The wires that come out there, they put forty-two volts to it, and there's a pin hooked up to the nose. And when they drop the bomb." It's electrically armed with 42 volts at the, at the time the pin is pulled. And when that happens, the bomb is then armed. So, you know, any kind of a blow to the nose of it, and it blows up. So I kind of had an idea how to get her done if I wanted to get her done. Could try and write a story about that, how it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the reason it couldn't happen was Dale Vance. I was pretty proud of myself figuring all this out. And I told Dale Vance about it. But I was just telling him we was going to make things to kill fish with, like John Wayne in the movies. John Wayne throws a grenade in the water and all these fish come up in the Philippines. And we were in the Philippines. And uh, anyway, I told Dale and I showed him. I took him, took him to a locker down the engine room. I had him in. He got mad. He's a second class. Well, you stupid son of a bitch. You can't bring explosives down here next to a 100,000 horsepower steam turbine. Because you throw them fucking things over the side. So I did. <laughs> but he could have turned me in. I've been in a world of shit. Uh, and I hadn't really thought that far ahead. Well, probably a good thing you did it. <laughs> I mean, and then I could tell the story about the time. Uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Reinick. It wasn't Reinick. He deserted. And the ship was getting ready to leave. And the last time I seen him was over in Subic City a couple days before. <coughs> and the uh, pop watch, that Filipino guy, he said, hey, this ship's leaving. He said, you better see if you can find him because if we leave without him, he's going to be in more of a ship. So I, I went back over to Subic City to the bars we went to. And I was asking the girls there if they knew where he was. And then one of them pointed to this little shack there next to the tavern. And I went over there and, and knocked on. Well, the door was open, I think. There's no, no air conditioning. And this young gal, and she didn't, to me, of course, all the Filipinos looked young. But this young gal was sitting on the bed naked and cross-legged eating sugar cane. And uh, he was sitting there drunk in a corner uh, on the bed. And I said, hey, man. Anyway, that, 
that's kind of an interesting story, too. It's, and that's a true story. I talked him into coming back to the ship. But I'll always remember that gal naked there sitting on the bed. I said, well, what the hell is that you're eating? She had sugar cane, and she gave it to me, and I took a chunk of it. It was just kind of like a sweet celery. I was kind of surprised. I didn't know what sugar cane tasted like. But uh, and just, she was just sitting there naked, didn't do shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And then she said... I said, come on, man, we gotta get back to the ship. It's leaving. And he and and he said, I ain't leaving. She loves me. I can't leave her. She loves me. And I looked at her and I said, Well, do you love him? She said, I love him no shit. Buy me a helicopter. <laughs> and I said, Man, I don't think she loves you. And he said, Yeah, she does. And so I, that, I said, Do you love him? And she goes, I love you no shit. Buy me a Honda. <laughs> I said, well, a little motorcycle. I said, Man, I don't think she loves you. So I talked him into going back with me, and he didn't get in any trouble. <laughs> wow, his, that's funny. But his wife divorced him. I do remember that. He was, oh, I know what I wanted to tell you. That same guy, he gave me his shirt. We had a, One time we had to get dressed up for an inspection, and I had to wear a white shirt. Well, mine was dirty. I, I, the whole time I was in the Navy, I never washed it. Mom always washed it for me. <laughs> anyway... We had that inspection coming up, and I see my shirt was dirty, and I said, shit, you know, and that, that, that guy there said, well, hell, I got a clean one here, give it to me. It says USS Hornet on the shoulder, and that's in, that should be in my sea bag in the closet. That, that, he was on the Hornet when they picked up the uh, space capsule that came back from the moon. It landed out in the ocean someplace, and he told me, he said he was there when they done it, and then later on, he got transferred to the Hancock. But uh, I don't know. I mean, if you do see, go through my sea bag and you see that shirt, it's got a little history on it. That was on, the, cool. that was on the USS Hornet when it picked up the uh, uh, spaceship thing from the moon. <laughs> That's cool. I wish I could remember his name. Can't remember it no more. Uh, and you know my dad's dog tag. I took that with me when I went in the service, and I carried his dog tag with me the whole time I was in there. And I think, I think it's in my sea bag. If if you find it, you can have my dog tag and Dad's dog tag. Well, and Brandon's dog tag. <laughs> dog tags from the Kaylee clan. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> three of the wars. Uh, <laughs> Second war. Vietnam War and uh, Iran War, or Iraq War, whatever it was. And I, I think Brandon stole that knife in the cabinet. It's not there. But, but, yeah. And if he can get a hold of that, that is a pretty special knife. I told you the story about that. Uh, yeah. Dad, it was Grandma Kaylee's. Before her, it was her dad's or her uncle's. I can't remember what she said. And he died, and uh, she grabbed the knife out of his stuff. And she used it for cleaning chickens and knocking them in the head. And it was a Smith Brother was the name of it. And I looked him up one time, and you can still you can buy them for about 600 bucks. And I wouldn't mind buying another one. And they had black ebony handles, and they were kind of shaped like a fiddle, the way it was built. But, but they were made for the Civil War guys. And uh, they made 60,000 of them and sent them off to the Union armies. And she said that that was used in that prison down there where, the, where they had the Union guys. 
and they used that for cutting people's limbs and such off. And anyway, that's that's what the, the guy who had it said. Oh, so it's kind of a special knife. And dad stole, dad stole it when he went. He, dad said he'd never been off the farm in his life. And when they drafted him, he thought, oh, man, I ought to have something to protect myself with. And he looked around there, and that big old knife was in Grandma's junk drawer. So he grabbed it and took it with him. And he carried that all through the Second World War. And I've seen it when he come, I was, when he was moving to Texas. Yeah. Just before I went to the, over to Vietnam, Dad and Mom moved to Texas. And I was helping Dad load stuff up, and he had the cigar box with coins and stuff that he brought back from uh, Japan. And, uh, you know, just standing up, I'm out of fucking breath. God damn it, that pisses me off. Whoa. <sighs> anyway, Dad said he took that with him when he was in the service. And then when he come back, he just threw it in that junk drawer. And anyway, I was helping load it up. And I thought, well, oh, I'm going to Vietnam. I don't think Dad would mind if I took that. So I didn't ask Dad. I just took it. <laughs> and I kept it with me the whole time. I, I, you know, I just kept it in my uh, drawer where I kept my stuff. And then, uh, well, I bought me some big knives there, too. In that cabinet, there's some knives I bought in Vietnam. It's a, they're case knives, big pocket knives. They're about the size of the one that Dad had. Uh I'm out of breath. Shit, Andy. I gotta sit down. I gotta find a place to sit down. I got about another 200, 200 feet to go. I'll tell you what, that's gonna be tough. That's gonna be tough. Wow. 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 Second here. Oh. Shit. Oh. I made it in here to the living room. Shit. Whoa. Oh. oh, oh, I'm sorry. You're all right. I'm out of breath. Anyway, those are kind of important things, maybe. Yeah, they are. It's something else you ought to do that by the bathroom door, it's got your height as you grew. It's got uh, it's got Ryan's heights and it's got uh, 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 George's and uh, and his sister. I know it's getting pretty faded. It's getting pretty faded away now, but you might want to if you ever <laughs> if you ever do anything to that house, you might want to save those because it's got oh, yeah. it's got your heights and oh, and it's got Ryan's too and Bobby's. There's <laughs> over there visiting one time. And Ryan was about half growed. But this kind of wore off over the years. Yeah. Oh, anymore when I go to the bathroom, I stagger, so I got to put my hand on there and I'm wearing them away. Mm. You know, in the search, in the wherever I grab it. Yeah. I, don't, I need to get me a ghostwriter. I think we can make some money on these stories. I really do. Yeah. I really do. 
I mean, to me, they're no, they're no dumber than anybody else's story. <laughs> no. <laughs> and the murder. No. I tell you what, I've never heard a story about the murder of uh, Joseph Smith. To me, that that would be the big one. You know, and the Mormon Church may well buy up all rights to it just to make sure nobody ever sees it. But if I, if I say it on my podcast and it's out there, the Mormon Church can't control it. That's so true. <laughs> I mean, they could buy the rights to the book, but they had to buy the rights to the podcast, too, I guess. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll do several of them. I said to D, I was doing these as a play, Act One, Scene One. Uh, and I wanted whoever heard it to do an Act Two. Yeah, if you look at my stuff on TikTok, you might not like some of it. That's, yeah. the, that's the reason I don't really tell you about them. <laughs> I enjoy them. They amuse the hell out of me. So when I get done doing one, I'm just tickled with myself. I think, oh, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> Stuff and nonsense. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, you know something else. It was talking about the currency. Um, and the American dollar has lost 4% against all the foreign currencies in the last last few months. Well, you know, that's yeah. that's kind of a big deal. That means not only do you got not only do you got the inflation here in the United States cutting the value of the dollar, anything we buy from China is going to cost four percent more now. Just because the dollar is four percent less. Than the oil, everything else. Uh, and you know they don't they don't even ever say that. But if you've got three or four percent inflation inside the states and three or four inflation out, I mean, you're talking damn near ten percent reduction in the value of the dollar. Yeah, that's a problem, isn't it? Yeah, it means all the dollars they got in the bank were ten percent less than they was before all this shit started. Yeah. Anyway. Yes, it does. That's why people have been going to stuff, certain stuff. Well, to, well, the stock market's taken off again, and I think it's because yeah. of, I think it's because of what that one guy said. He said that uh, he said that every stock is its own currency, and it's like every stock is its own little bank, and uh, if they manage. You know, it used to be all the banks could issue their own currency. And a well-managed bank, you know, could do well. Yeah, I made over the LEB tour. So, let me see. I tell you what, she said I got something going on with my lungs too, which I don't like. She said it wasn't. Yeah, she, she said it wasn't cancer. She called it lung disease. She said it was lung disease. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's the reason I'm so short of breath. Uh, yeah. Well, you got lung disease, so that could be. Well, I, you well, know. well, you know, I, I, I think I should. Well, the VA was giving me antibodies. 
they said that uh, I still got them at home. I quit taking them. They uh, said when it was giving me steroids, which, which are giving me here, the VA had me take these uh, antibiotic pills. They said take these with the steroids because the steroids reduce your immune system. I said, oh, shit. Hell, I might be. Well, if it's mold or something, they might be able to give me something for that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure either. Yeah, I wasn't happy you don't hurt that. I was like, well, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of figure, case of raw, so raw, so raw. Whatever, yeah, I mean, whatever, a, whatever will be. That's what I do, too. Okay, sir. You do the best you can do, and <laughs> let the rest of it figure itself out. Yeah. I'm walking, whatever. Be- I'm walking better now than I did last night. Last night, I was so weak, I had to sit in my chair and push myself with my feet. At least I'm walking upright this time. So I, sh- I, sh- I should be in good shape tomorrow. Off you go. Good. I've been ta- well. I've been taking those. Oh, anti- yeah. I've been taking those antibiotics too. I just started taking them this morning. I brought them here with me. Of course, of course they told me. Uh, they told me not to take anything. I guess. I figured, well, fuck. I'll just take. I got. I got half a bottle of them left. I'll just take a few. Um, I took one this morning. I'll take one tomorrow morning, too. Yeah, I mean, back in my room, I did. <laughs> Last night, to get asleep, I took a, I drank a half pint of vodka. <laughs> Seemed like it helped. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does put you to sleep. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, excuse me. No, Dad, I'm going to go. Me too. <laughs> All right. Night, night, night. Bye. Bye-bye.
Oh, hi. Hey, just another day in the life of Brian. Oh, I'm, I'm out of breath. <laughs> they said I got congestive heart failure. Oh, man. I don't know if you like my stories or not. I think that story about the murder of Joseph Smith by Brigham Young, my grandma did tell me that story. And I told this Mormon historian, and he kind of backed me up. I still might become a Mormon, though. I'd like to find a Mormon wife who would uh, help me set up the Cayley Family Cloning Corporation. And me and her and our family could go through all time and eternity together, again and again and again and again and again and again, as clones. Sure, she'll be my wife. I'll be dead here soon. She can have my pensions. Then she'll hatch me out. I'll be your little baby. And then two years later, she hatches herself out. She's been my little sister. And we'll just live with all her other kids, if whoever she has them with. And she'll just raise us all as her little family. And hopefully, if I do things right, I'll have money invested when I turn 18. I can use that to get all my brothers and sisters cloned too. Anyway, I gotta stop because I'm out of breath. I don't know. So, adios, amigos. I'm just hoping these podcasts make it to my future clones. That's my plan, man. <laughs> the old cap crash here. So, adios, amigo. Bye bye. Hey, if you want to pass this on, any part of this on, or use it on yours podcast, feel free, man. I tell you what, you start talking about talk, talk, start talking about the murder of uh, 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 Joseph Smith by Brigham Young on your podcast. Well, do some research into it. It was just a power struggle. That's my grandma, and that's kind of what that Mormon historian said too. 
Brigham. Brigham won. Joseph lost. Anyway, adios, amigos. Bye-bye.